This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of EMS 20 slash 20. I feel like I need now to put in the like 20 slash 20 after your 2020 slash 2021 slash 2022. Oh, and by the way, a shout out to everyone on our Facebook page that came up with the EMS 2020 drinking game, uh, which we suggest no one plays because it would be absolutely lethal. Um, but basically, yeah, <laughs> yep. depending on how often like we say things that we always say, you take a drink and I'm going to say like, y'all really substantially up the liquor amount. If I mention yeah. black ice, someone's going to the hospital. That's well, and there you go. <laughs> oh, that's fuck. it right there. There it is. Yep. Yeah, that's it. There it is. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I you might as well, everybody. Chris. How do you feel about black ice? Go so on. It's not... <laughs> Uh, I feel that it is a very legitimate reason to crash your fucking car, even when no one else who drove through the same ice crashed, even when you're the only person that went through the intersection and wound up in a telephone pole out of the hundreds of people that just drove through it. Yeah, clearly the uh, the ice on the ground uh, was the problem. And here's the thing. Ice is clear. The road is black. Like, that's the thing is, is it's not special ice i am sure i am not saying that there is not ice out there it's too easy for you but i'm not saying but i just need to say it because i'm not saying that there's not ice out there that's hard to see that is true there is ice out there that's hard to see but most ice is easy to see and or not even that's easy to see like this is the other thing i hate too is people will be like well i just thought it was water it's freezing out it's physically impossible for it to be just water at this point it's physics it's not water. Here's the thing. If it is freezing or below and you're driving and you see what you think is a puddle, it ain't. It's ice. It has to be. And my problem with the black ice thing is every time I hear it, every icy season on the ambulance, it's always an excuse for someone's shit driving. I have very rarely, actually, I will say this. Me personally, I will not say it has never happened in the history of EMS, but I will say in my EMS career, I have never been on an ice slid in the ice call where I did not drive up there and be like, yeah, it's obviously icy here. And then it's always the same thing. I think I hit black ice. No, you've been driving across the skating rink of a highway for the past two miles and had to make a slight turn and didn't realize that trying to do so at 40 miles an hour on your bald ass street slick tires is going to end up with you over the other side of the highway into a telephone pole. So if you don't follow us on social media, you definitely should. We are on uh, Facebook at EMS 20 slash 20. You can follow us on Instagram at EMS 2020 show. And please send us an email at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. Um, All right. And for the people drinking at home, I was laughing and had to start over. <laughs> oh, God. And a four year medic is anyway. <laughs> dude, everyone was so savage. I, dude, guys just ripped us apart, man. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous uh, because so here's the thing. Generally speaking, uh, the way we do this show is most of you listeners know uh, one of us kind of brings the call and the other person tries to figure it out. 
Uh, and we generally do try and do a good job of having the other person stay cold, you know, uh, but it can, you know, but it, it, it's entirely something else when Spencer specifically tells me like, Hey, like you'll see the show prep in the show prep folder. Don't look at it at all because I normally don't. But the fact that he's telling me not to means it's going to be hard. And I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I feel like I'm being tested today. Everybody should ready their hashtag Chris was wrong uh, hashtag thingies. What if yeah. I blow it out of the water, though? Well, then, you know. Well, then apparently I, I should be doing that. a podcast. All right. Then apparently you should be doing a podcast. All right. Um, yeah. So real quick, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, just like in the ambulance, we tend to get call types submitted in waves. We'll get falls followed by falls, trauma, mm. and then more trauma, uh, and then syncope and syncope. Mm. And honestly, most of the time, we tend to pick one call over the other as the lessons from both tend to be similar. Um, and I can usually tell by the emailed story which one would probably be a better episode. Mm. This is one of those situations where the follow-up ended Ended up being key. Um, I'll go more into this later, but I'll just say on the outset of this uh, episode, uh, I can see this call tripping me up too. Hmm. So, Chris, I'm excited because you are coming in so cold on this episode since your life is just a massive chaotic mess, especially these last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm really excited to see how you do on this call. Thanks, man. Again, right on the offset. I think I would have messed this one up. So I like how you're a really good friend, how you're like, hey, man, I understand. Like, you just bought a house. Uh, you know, you're coming. You just came off here. You know, you just did your um, orientation test at work that you've been studying for. Um, I'm going to challenge you some more. And, and we're going to record it. And we're going to release release this blunder <laughs> to so many people. So, so many. Yeah. You know. Yep. Exactly. All right. So this call was submitted to us by a paramedic working at a private ambulance company. Hyperkalemia. They have a. What's that? Hyperkalemia. Boom. Done. Oh fuck! All right. Well, close your laptops, everybody. <laughs> we're uh, we're done here. We're done. Uh, they have approximately ten years' experience as a paramedic, and just for fun, told me that I would have had, I would have checked the CBG hashtag Spencer's wrong uh, <laughs> reference to that episode's going the distance. Nice. So yeah, awesome. But uh, jokes on them. I get the last laugh motherfucker because I got to pick their nickname for the episode. So this medic's name is now donkey <laughs> <laughs> because they're an ass. Nice. Uh, yeah. I'd mic drop, but all you guys would just hear is a loud thud. So lame. And I'd have to buy right. a new mic and those are, yeah. that's another thing. Anyone and who's ever <laughs> truly mic dropped doesn't purchase their own microphones. That's all I can tell you right there. Like that's because, and everyone who does, whenever they see a mic drop, they're like, Oh my God. Hey, does this still work? Cause I'll take it. Like that's what, like, Hey, if it's not useless to you, you know, <laughs> nice, nice. Yep. All right. Um, yeah. So donkey works at a decently sized private ambulance company. Donkey. They work alongside, an, AL, an ALS fire department who also gets dispatched to medical calls. The area that they cover is mostly urban suburban and they do operate with a system status management 
with the posting plans mm. and the parking lots and the being in an ambulance for, you know, 12 hours a day. So nice. that's fun. Um, this ambulance tends to be staffed in a medic EMT combination, although occasionally there are medic medic shifts. Um, <clears throat> an interesting feature of this company and one that I'm a little familiar with, uh, since I've worked for several is that the medics have been told that they must run every 911 call. Oh, wow. The EMTs they work with are allowed to run any BLS interfacility transfers or discharges, but the medics have to run all the 911 calls. Uh, the reason this is, and the reason that I've heard it, is the same, which is the company imposes this rule for billing purposes. Mm. Can I weigh in a little bit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So <clears throat> this is kind of a thing, but it kind of isn't. The different companies kind of find their own way around it. Um, basically, what it is is if you want to be able to charge, uh, this all comes down to Medicaid, Medicare billing. That's all this is. It is not, it doesn't change. The Amos company can charge you or your private insurance uh, anything they want. Um, but when it comes down to uh, government subsidized insurances like Medicaid and Medicare, um, they there are different different codes and there's different levels they can get billed for and to not go too politically deep into anything medicaid medicare i mean they pay but they do not pay enough to usually even cover the cost of the ambulance company doing business for that person uh, unless it's billed to whether one of the higher echelon uh codes and if in order to get there, they usually have to have a paramedic assessment done in order to bill the ALS level. A paramedic assessment must be done. Now, a lot of companies will say, hey, as long as the paramedic assessed and that's documented, it's okay if the EMT basic is the one that's in the back that can usually get them to that minimum ALS tier uh, that's down there. And they really don't want to have like paramedics doing interventions just for the sake of billing. Um, so as long as the paramedic assessment is on the chart, they really don't care who is in the back. Cause the assumption is if they needed paramedic interventions and the paramedic would be in the back, if they don't, they're not going to get them and be able to bill for them anyway. So as long as the paramedic did an assessment, they're fine and they can go for that. And if you were thinking about it, that is fair. I mean, they do need to have a paramedic on a 911 car to be able to do that paramedic level assessment. And that does cost the company to staff. In fact, most of the cost of an ALS call is paying the paramedic. It's not the medical equipment, except in very, very rare instances. Um, so that's yeah, like if it. you decide to give glucagon to a patient and it's you know $500. Is glucagon really that, that expensive? <laughs> uh, Do you know Esmolol is $500 a bag? Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, or $481. Um, but then, uh, yeah. Glucagon's expensive because it also is a, uh, it's not an antidote, but it's the one agent you can use on like beta blocker overdoses. Yeah. So, um, so it's got that dual thing. Yeah, but um, most most medications actually are not most most medications. Like to be dead honest, are under yeah. fi uh, under five dollars. Ninety percent of the oh, stuff yeah. you see in an ambulance is under five dollars. It's really I, cheap. I honestly, I think glucagon is probably in like the one ninety range when I uh, yeah. when I got to see it on a spreadsheet. So it's yeah, it's so, not five hundred, but it's it's fucking expensive still. But to put a paramedic on that ambulance for the day costs you way more than that dose of glucagon. Yeah, but so, imagine this. 
what if you just kept going on diabetics where you could get <laughs> IV access just and lose a ton of money. Overdose. Just <laughs> lose a ton of money. Uh, but it, anyway, anyway, so uh, we're trailing there. So some companies, uh, because they, they're really paranoid about, you know, getting caught for fraud or anything like that, they will just say, you know what, instead of having to deal with, okay, was there a paramedic assessment, but then can they come back and say, yeah, but then they'll just say that the paramedic has to run every 911 call just to, it, it, it's overkill, but that is what some companies will do. All right. Too much time yeah. on that. All right. Move on. All right. So let's move on to the call. It's a Friday at 745.20-ish a.m. <laughs> could be 745.21, could be 745.19, but you know, we don't know. Yeah, it's ish. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. It's fine. Uh, Donkey and their EMT partner, Fiona. Uh, Fiona, by the way, is an EMT who's worked at that agency for less than a year, but like several EMTs I know, is described as basically trying to just shove an entire career's worth of work into that time. Uh, They're just one of those people, picks up open shifts, like picks up all the open shifts they can. They're described as competent and well-liked, at least by Donkey. But also, again, just to remind everyone, donkey is an ass. So, <laughs> grain of salt, that shit. Kidding, wow. kidding, mostly, mostly. Anyway, all right. So I hear uh, you saying the words, but I don't know. That I... <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Anywho, Fiona and donkey are dispatched to an apartment complex for a 36-year-old female reported to have a syncopal episode. The 911 caller is the patient's teenage daughter. The crew gets no other dispatch information due to poor radio quality in their rig. They do hear that a fire engine was also dispatched, but that a rescue takes over the call as they just cleared a different call nearby. And this one is closer to them. So the engine has four people that are no longer coming. The rescue has two. Um, There is is pretty heavy morning commuter traffic so it takes a solid amount of time uh donkey said probably about you know eight to ten minutes for them to just get to the complex and thankfully they didn't have to spend a lot of time searching for the apartment because i fucking hate that wow that's nice though as the rescue is parked right out front and kind of a big flag to where the call is going to be so yay yay Donkey and Fiona grab their equipment, their equipment being their monitor, their scene bag, their stretcher with their O2 bottle, and they head inside the apartment. The the apartment is described as a clean-looking two-bedroom apartment. They hear voices coming from one of the bedrooms and head that way to find two paramedic firefighters, dubbed Shrek and Puss in Boots, standing at the side of the bed on which the patient for our call is laying. Hey, I'm really quick. Quick question for yeah. you. Um, so I noticed they brought in their kits, but fire was on scene first. I know in systems that I've worked in, oftentimes if fire is on scene first, you really don't need to bring in your kits. Do they have the same kind of kits as fire does, or is there a reason that they're bringing in their kits and monitor? No, different kits. Um, <clears throat> I, I didn't really pry too much into it, to be honest. Okay. Um, they just said, that, yeah, we just brought our kits in. And I went, oh, okay. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the patient is described as a non-obese mid-30s female who's laying supine in bed on top of the covers, wearing sweat pajama pants and a sweatshirt top. The doorway impression from Donkey is that, well, she looks uncomfortable. 
She otherwise looks okay. Her skin is normal, colored, it's dry. She's engaging with um, the two firefighters there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shrek is in the middle of some questioning. So Donkey and Fiona just sort of linger in the doorway waiting to get a recap. Uh, Puss in Boots sees them and slides over to give them kind of the brief uh, rundown of the history they've gotten so far. So the patient woke up uh, around uh, 7 a.m., sorry, feeling unwell. Uh, she felt like she needed to use the bathroom and more specifically, she felt like she needed to have a bowel movement. Uh, she was heard by the daughter, aged 16, going into the bathroom. Then the daughter heard a distinct thud of a person collapsing or a microphone being dropped. <laughs> the daughter came to investigate. When she hit the ground. <laughs> the daughter came to investigate and found the patient laying prone on the floor of the bathroom. The patient was able to be woken up by the daughter. The patient then went ahead and used the bathroom, followed by going back to bed to lay down, still feeling unwell. Real quick question. But Do in that it? time, Yo, go on. Uh, should, should I wait my turn or can I ask a question? Uh, give me one second here. In that time, 911 was called by the daughter. And that brings us to now. Please. Okay. Uh, I said use the bathroom. Number one or number two? Number two. Number two. Okay. Do we have a description of the number two? Oh, we'll get that. There's. Okay. All right. We'll get that in just a second, buddy. All right. Let's I, do it. Absolutely. All right. So donkey gets a look at the fire department monitor and vitals are as follows. Heart rate is 88 via the pulse oximeter. SpO2 is 98% on room air. Blood pressure is 111 over 77 via the automatic cuff. And respirations were estimated to be about 18 a minute. Okay. Specifically, they were just non-labored, not really like too fast, too slow. All right. So, so to me, right. nothing out of the ordinary so far. Perfect. Donkey, of course, asked about a blood sugar, <laughs> which Puss in Boots reported was checked and was 76 milligrams per deciliter. Okay. All right. Uh, Donkey was also listening uh, to Shrek's line of questioning, by the way, and it was along the lines of allergies, meds, past medical history at this point. And for the record, the patient denies any allergies, denies taking any medications, and denies any medical problems. So, Chris, you are now donkey or ass at this point. <laughs> what would you like to know? What would you like to do? We know you want the stool. Yeah. You want that. <laughs> we, we know. So, uh, let's just kind of recap kind of what we're doing here. Um, so, I have talked about um, – so, I approach syncopal episodes pretty much like altered mental status because that's really what it is. It's a brief period of altered mental status. And so, you kind of need to just start looking at – essentially all the same reasons uh, a lot of the same reasons that can cause altered mental status are going to apply to these brief syncopal episodes. I do love this person essentially passing out, landing prone on the floor, daughter waking her up and going, yeah, hang on, I got to take a shit and then finishing that and then going back into the other room. There's, there, there's, there's gumption in that, you know, hey, like that. When you gotta go, you gotta go, right? <laughs> Jurassic park. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I just hope there was a roar coming from there. Um, so <laughs> whenever I start looking at these altered mental status, the first thing I look at is, does it have fuel supply? It being the brain or the head, I guess I should say. Does it have fuel supply? The fuel you need is oxygen, blood, 
and sugar. So in this step, the first thing I do is I check SAO2, and her SAO2 is 98%, so that's fine. Start looking at signs of perfusion, skin, blood pressure. Skin looks good from what I remember. Uh, blood pressure was good, 111 over 77 is just not a concerning blood pressure to me. Uh, and then CBG for sugar, we checked the sugar, it's 76. And I know some people might be like, ooh, 76 is kinda low. To me, no it's not, especially early in the morning before breakfast. Uh, oh, actually, hang on, last oral intake, has she had anything to eat this morning? Oh, you know what? Uh, shame on me. I didn't ask and okay. donkey didn't tell me. Well, let's assume no, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Maybe she stopped uh, stopped to get a bagel on her way to the bathroom. Because it would be a little bit crazy um, if, uh, if she ate and then had a CVG of 76. And then I'd be asking if she's a diabetic and on insulin, that kind of stuff. Um, is she diabetic? Uh, no, she is not. Okay. So. She denied any medical problems. Okay. So we're, so we're probably set there. So probably just hasn't eaten yet. So All right. fuel supply check. Uh, so next thing, uh, at, now the other thing about single episodes though is, you need to check all these things, but understand that even though they're fine now, maybe they weren't earlier. Uh, so the next thing I usually check is like, okay, is it broken? So if we have fuel supplied to the head, is there something broken? Uh, you know, like trauma or stroke. And here's kind of one of the things that probably should be considered is we know she went to the bathroom and we heard a thud. Did she fall and just doesn't remember falling? And that's what this is. Mm. And there's trauma involved. So I guess my next question to her would be like, does she have any head, neck or back pain? Does she remember falling? Any of that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, excellent. So that, excellent that's, that's one route I'd go. I don't know if we have that information. The other thing too, and then after that, I usually kind of take a look like, hey, is it intoxicated? All right. So considered medications in OD. Um, I've, she denies medications in medical history, right? Yes. Okay. Have we asked about recreational drugs? Uh, we did not. Not yet anyway. Okay. So recreational drugs would be something I'd want to ask about. Alcohol. I mean, early in the morning. I'm not it's unlikely, but I mean, hey, some people like to party, so don't rule it out. Uh, and then, you know, consider environmental stuff. CO poisoning, for example. Um, it'd be one of those things where it's like, hey, do we have a heater? Do we have something that's off about the house that would kind of give us uh, any indication for, you know, CO poisoning would be a big one. Um, so that is kind of my initial take a look uh, before we kind of get too much into patient history and that kind of stuff. And the other thing I always like to ask, especially with single episodes, is has this ever happened to you before? So Yeah, no, that's a great question. Anyway, Absolutely. so that's kind of where I'm at, but let's, um, I will... I will withhold my questions and kind of wait for what happens next. Okay. Yeah, well, then let's keep going because I like the line of thought. All right. So Donkey at this point steps in and introduces himself and starts their own history gathering. I'm assuming there's something like, hi, I'm ass. And for the record, <laughs> a far better paramedic than Spencer Oliver because I checked a sugar one time. What's going on this morning? I'll summarize the history that they got here. So the patient woke up feeling nauseated, slightly dizzy, and feeling a need to have a bowel movement. Okay. Additionally, she reports some cramping pain in her lower abdomen, maybe more like right lower quadrant pain, rated as a four out of 10. The patient states that she got up, walked to the bathroom, and then remembers waking up on the floor feeling uh, very sweaty with her daughter at her side. Mm -hmm. Donkey paused here and then turned to Shrek and asked if they'd done a physical assessment yet, given the possible trauma from the fall. Yes. Shrek says yes. The patient continues. They got up from the floor. There were no additional pain or injury after the fall. 
they had their morning movement, but still felt ill and decided that they would come back to bed. Okay. Uh, the patient denies any tarry stools or frank blood in their bowel movement. She said it was a little runnier than normal, but not like alarmingly so. Okay. Just seemed, you know. Okay. And that looser, is something but... worth asking because if it's like a solid turd, you know, vagal, a vagal response could very much be the problem. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, she said normal color. Uh, the patient additionally denies any chest pain, shortness of breath, headache, neck or back pain. Uh, additionally, the patient denies any fever or chills. They deny having a cough and they, they also deny vomiting. Uh, the patient does say that they haven't been sleeping very well at all the last few nights and offer that they just, they might just be really exhausted. Um, okay. ass focuses on the abdominal pain. It says like, okay, so when did that start? And the patient says the following. Her pain started on Tuesday as some cramping pain in their lower abdomen. Additionally, she had some vaginal bleeding around that time too. So donkey asks the following questions. Oh, okay. Any chance you could be pregnant? When was your last menstrual period? The patient replies, no, my doctor says I'm not pregnant anymore. Oh, so donkey asked for clarification. And once again, I'll summarize as it turns out, the patient was estimated to be about nine weeks pregnant. G2 P1 gravita two para one. So that means that she's been pregnant twice and she's had one live birth. The way I remember these is gravid, like gravity pulls down a little harder on the belly because you're pregnant and para. I just imagine babies parachuting out of a vagina. And that oh, means wow. they're being birthed. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she knew she was pregnant, but when the spotting started, she took another home pregnancy test and noticed that the results were, quote, bad. She says then she talked with her doctor after the cramping and spotted started, and they summarily told the patient that she was having a spontaneous abortion or a miscarriage. Okay. By the way, those terms are interchangeable. Uh, some people kind of shy away from the abortion terminology because it's sort of a, it's one of those loaded political things. Uh, okay. But in the, the case of spontaneous abortion, that's like, that's just, that's just what it's called. But a lot of people can sidestep that whole <laughs> abortion connotation and just say miscarriage. So gotcha. anyway, uh, so she reports that she's had abdominal cramping since that day. And the patient states that the vaginal bleeding has been mostly spotting since then. She has a follow-up appointment on Monday with her clinic. She says that since the news, she hasn't been sleeping well. And everyone in the crew offers their condolences. Okay. So, Donkey asks about the patient's appendix. This is a the really good assessment report- so far. I'm going to say that. Yeah. yeah. The patient reports that she does still have hers, but... There isn't any other hits with the, like, there's no fever. There's, you know, uh, no other signs with that. So donkey palpates the abdomen and states that it felt soft, maybe with some slight tenderness, kind of diffuse across the lower abdomen. The patient appeared uncomfortable, but reported no change in her pain. There was no point tenderness present, even over the right lower quadrant. Donkey decides to move on to doing a 12 lead, and their partner Fiona, the female EMT on the crew, leads this charge. So the male responders leave the room uh, so that procedure can be performed. 
Donkey Shrek and Puss in Boots stand out in the hallway discussing differentials with nothing really leaping out. Shrek offers, eh, I guess it could be exhaustion if she hasn't been sleeping well. Sure. And Puss in Boots says, yeah, I mean, has she been eating or drinking very well? You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's it. And Donkey responds that, yeah, I'm not sure what it is. And they suggest doing a tilt test that is checking orthostatic vitals. Donkey wants to see if it's hypovolemia, if it's a hypovolemia problem, given that the patient reported some bleeding, spotting, sure, but over a couple days. The crew agrees that this is probably a good thing to do because they're all expecting a normal 12 lead. So the 12 lead is complete and as expected is unremarkable. It's normal sinus rhythm. The patient tells the crew that she wants to sit up. She says she's tired of laying down. And the crew says, perfect, because we actually want you to. So they sit the patient up and have her stand. And after 30 seconds of standing, they cycle a blood pressure and look at the heart rate. The patient's heart rate increases to 96 beats per minute. And the patient's BP comes back as 106 over 85. Okay. There is a small discussion about the findings on scene, but ultimately all of the providers seem to think that the findings aren't significant. The tilt test is negative. And there you will go, buddy. So can I interject really quick about some orthostatic vitals here? Uh, By all means, you are the other 20 to my 20. (laughs) You cheese ball. Uh, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, orthostatic vitals. So um, actually, kind of recently uh, got about waist deep in orthostatic vitals um, for an upcoming exam. And I was surprised by a few things. Uh, Okay. Uh, But first, orthostatic vitals are often taken to help us try and figure out if a patient is suffering from volume depletion. Um, Like that can occur with bleeding, but can also be present in cases of like significant vomiting, diarrhea, um, those kind of things. Uh, Basically, you take vitals when the patient is laying flat then again, when they're standing up and compare the two, uh, if the patient's vol- is volume depleted, their body should show some signs of trying to compensate, like increased heart rate, for example. Uh, so we're looking to see if the HR creases uh, by increases by, like, I think, 20 points is kind of the, the rule there. Uh, or if systolic blood pressure drops by 20, or if the diastolic drops by 10, uh, and any one of those, it would be considered a positive finding. Uh, so... Two things on this. Uh, first, they only sort of did this test right. Uh, the part they did right was having the patient lay supine for as long as they did. It was good. But then they kind of screwed up because they needed to actually take the vitals again. The repeat vitals were supposed to be taken 30 seconds and again after three minutes after standing. Um Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but anyway, the thing I wanted to bring up, though, is that this test is actually kind of a mixed bag in its utility. So... Uh, the Rebel EM website uh, did a pretty recent and solid summary of the data for this test and basically said kind of something to this effect is that orthostatic vitals uh, can be present at baseline in many patients and might not be present in other groups, even when there is actual measured uh, blood slash fluid loss. And so it's just not that sensitive or even necessarily that specific of a test overall, at least on its own, uh, like Beta blockers, for example, circulatory health, age, the degree of fluid loss, if there is any, um, all those can influence these findings. So even if it's negative, it could be a false negative. Or if it's positive, it could be a false positive because this could be a normal finding for her. I mean, there are 
we we've all we've all heard of those like you know high school freshmen uh skinny kids that just like stand up too quick and get lightheaded and have to sit down and then, you know like <laughs> shit yeah that's in other, in other words me so like that is <laughs> like, <laughs> well fuck shit that's uh yeah hmm, that's good to know i um uh, i thought it was a little more dependable of an assessment mm. but um yeah, it sounds like it's not as accurate as I thought. That That's crazy, though. I mean, I, like, I've definitely had, like, GI bleed patients who totally had orthostatic vitals. I mean, like, I mean, they also had a lot of other symptoms, so it wasn't like we were just relying on a tilt test. But it was more of, a like, a confirmatory finding, um, although it also sounds like I probably did it wrong, too, in the case that I'm thinking, because we just had the patient kind of stand up and move to the stretcher. And when they did that and they were upright, their heart rate like shot up uh, incredibly high. And so, and then, you know, we cycled the blood pressure and had them sit on the stretcher. And yeah. so then I was going like, yeah, this thing totally works. Uh, well, but wow. Yeah. But well, but I mean, like, here's the thing though, like it could be present when someone's bleeding. It's just not reliable enough tests on its own to be able to say someone isn't bleeding or volume depleted when it's not there. Or it might be like a normal finding for that patient. Like I said, skinny high school kids. Um, so maybe not your GI bleed, but like another patient. Sure. And, and that's, okay. I mean, just think of like everything that kind of has to go into that. Like, so you stand up and the idea is that you don't have enough volume so your uh, your body has a harder time because it's easier for your body to get blood to your brain when you're laying down. So you stand up, and the idea is that you don't have a lot of volume, so your body has to work harder to get the blood up to your brain. So you're either going to see a heart rate increase or you're going to see it not be able to do that, and the systolic and diastolic will drop, those kind of things. Um, yeah. And But, you know... <laughs> That might just like in someone who's beta blocked, they their body might never be able to compensate for that. And that's just yeah. normal. Or in someone who's not beta blocked, maybe they're just young and their body still has a lot of, you know, we, we all know that the younger you are, younger humans can compensate like monsters right up until the last minute. And then they fall off yeah. a cliff. We've talked about that curve before. So, yeah, that's just yeah. there. There's right. too many variables in it. So anyway, no, that's yeah. OK. All right. Well, um. Yeah, without any significant hits on their assessment, Donkey decides to, it's time to move on with the call. Um, despite nothing really standing out to explain the cause of the syncope, and at this point thinking it could just maybe be a benign thing, they tell the patient the following. Yeah, like, so, yeah, I'm not sure why you passed out this morning, but we should take you to the hospital and have the doctors run tests to see if they can figure it out. The patient shakes her head no. She explains that she recently started a new job and doesn't yet have medical insurance and doesn't want to pay for an ambulance bill or even an ER bill. Her daughter, who's in the background, tells her that, like, hey, you need to go. Um, and the patient, again, doesn't want to, citing cost. So Shrek interjects and says, I'm not even going to try and do a Shrek impression. <laughs> Donkey! <laughs> Doggy, <laughs> look, we're not seeing a reason you need to go by ambulance to the hospital. Your vitals look normal. Nothing really stands out as a concern for us. But, you know, it's not normal for people to just pass out. And I mean, it could be, like you said, that you just haven't been sleeping well. But, uh, you know, we just can't say for sure. So, yeah, you should go to the hospital. Um, but, you know, like we can cut out one of the costs. Do you have anyone who could take you to the hospital? Um they t they did tell the patient that she can't drive yeah, uh, herself there, fair. which fair. 
Super. Yeah, good call. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, yeah, family, friends, you know, co-workers. And the patient weekly protests. She says she has to go to work. She needs to get her daughter to school. Um, at side note here, the daughter apparently said, like, it's okay, mom. I was going to skip today anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'll just cut short what sounded like a several minute conversation Ultimately, and really without too much struggle, the patient eventually acquiesced and agreed to go to the hospital. Nice. Um, she does refuse the ambulance, but agrees that she will order a lift and have it take her to the closest hospital. Um, Donkey obtains a patient refusal for the transport and you know does it right. They explain the risks like, hey, we don't know why you passed out. It could be due to exhaustion, but it you know could be something far more serious and life-threatening, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Shrek and Puss in Boots stay on scene to kind of help the patient get into the lift and make sure that that actually happens. So the lift driver is seen pulling out of the complex as Donkey and Fiona are pulling into the complex, sorry, as Donkey and Fiona drive off toward their next exciting adventure and all's well that ends well. So, thoughts so far, Chris. Again, your ass. Are you comfortable with this plan? Is uh, there something more that you would have wanted? So, couple, couple of things. Yeah. Um, first off, here are kind of the red flags that pop up for me in terms of like a refusal. You know, and again, they can. I mean, we can't force people to go to the hospital. But um, red flag number one is it's on this show. Uh, red flag number two is. Um, <laughs> Uh, did do we ever get the the answer to the question? Is is has this happened to her before? You know what? They didn't ask. Okay, they didn't ask. That's and me, I didn't ask. Yeah, that's me. Kind of would have been super important. Um, just because, like, yeah, if there's a history. <clears throat> I I would assume that if she has a history of syncopal episodes, when they were like, "Do you have any medical problems?" Like, she probably would have said. But then that's not that's not a specific question. Yeah, like, and, and, that and is sometimes. Not, Sometimes people who who have stuff like I have a people say, yeah, I, I don't have any medical history. And then it's like, oh, hey, you have an inhaler here with your name on it. Oh, well, I have asthma. And it's just like, you know, to them, it's not a big deal. Like, <laughs> yeah. like OK, yeah. that is medical history. Like I've had that happen like tons of times. Like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm fine. I mean, I've got like high blood pressure on all these medications. But aside from that. And so like, <laughs> um, especially if it's someone someone who really doesn't want to go to the hospitals, they don't want you there anyway. So it's going to tell you everything's fine. So um, th- so there's yeah. there's that. Um, sometimes I almost get more worried when I can't see that something's wrong. You know what I mean? It's not like I see a low blood sugar. It's not like I have anything that's sticking out. All I know now is that something happened enough for her to lose consciousness. She's had a recent miscarriage, um, which I really just want to, I want to, I don't know what else to do with that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I'm generally not comfortable with syncopal patients in general, especially those that have like no medical history. It's just this random event. Like to me, I'm like, what happened here? Here's my feeling on syncope. And I, this sort of, I'm jump, I'm going to jump around a little bit because I was going to save this for the end, but this is, this is the perfect spot since you've introduced it. I get really uncut. Like when people are like, oh, you know, they probably just passed out from exhaustion. I'm like, that's what you're hoping because that's the oh, easiest yeah. thing. But I like, I, don't get me wrong. I want it to be that. But, you know, it, it could be that or it could be a weird arrhythmia that, you know, just showed up or, you know, like some other thing that we're not seeing. Like I need it to be very like 
obvious that it's that thing. It's sort of like when you have a, like when you go on a diabetic and you're like, all right, let's get him woken up and then let's find out what happened to cause his low blood sugar. And if they have a story that explains what happened, then I'm like, fucking cool. Awesome. We're right. all good here. But when the certain person's like, no, I didn't take my insulin. And you're like, uh, then how? Like, yeah. I, mm, what happened here then? Are you sure you didn't take it? Because now shit's weird. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and so that's, I get the same uneasy feeling where I'm like, I, I really don't, like, I have no idea. I'm a boat out in the middle of a lake and it's foggy and I don't know where the shore is. Like, I'm just here. Fuck. I, I don't know where to go with this or what's going to happen. There's no predictive value in it. So, I, yeah, I, I share your discomfort. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> My only other thing, um, did we ever ask, we asked if she had any pain. She said no pain. No, she said she had some abdominal cramping. She had some four out of 10 abdominal cramping. Is it now resolved? Or is it still present? Still going on. Still going on. There was no point tenderness though with that. And she had a bowel movement. She did have a bowel movement. Are we sure it was a bowel movement? (laughs) I mean, I I didn't ask Donkey if he went in and checked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but uh, I mean, like... (laughs) Yeah, that's people got to push really hard. Be like, no, it's a baby. All right, uh, but I would like to think that would come up too. <laughs> okay, so at this point, I, I, is it fair to say I think that you are uncomfortable with I am, the refusal? I am uncomfortable, but w- with the refusal, but I don't have a good. I, I'm totally admit. It, I don't know what I think this. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I have a feeling it has something to do with the damn uh, uh, miscarriage, but like, I, I don't. I don't know what this is. I'd want to know okay. what H&H is, but. Yeah, no, that's. All right. Well, then let's, without further delay, whew, we'll pull back the, we'll pull back the sheet and reveal. All right. So donkey, here's the follow-up. Donkey and Fiona actually see the patient and her daughter in the busy ED room about one hour later while dropping off another patient. So Donkey shoulder taps one of the nurses to find out what was going on and learns that the patient is going to the OR for surgery. It's mm. a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. Son of a bitch. Son oh. of a bitch. And I was literally. Shit. Oh, fuck. So I'm, can I interject for two seconds? No. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I'm on, I mean, it's your show too, but not right now. Um, no, I, I was legitimately just sitting here thinking of like, uh, or like before I'm like, I'm like, well, it's not going to be like an ectopic because they said she already miscarried and the baby's gone. But now I'm thinking back, I'm like, no, they never really said that she had some, mm-hmm. they tested that she was positive, that, that, that she was pregnant and, or, uh, she, she was oh. pregnant, estimated to be nine weeks. And then they said, you're no longer pregnant, but I don't remember oh. if they said how they determined that dude. Yeah. Just, just you wait, because that's exactly, you fell into the same trap that I did and Donkey did, and here it is. Oh shit, Donkey says, but they're confused, and they follow up with the primary nurse, because you'll remember, the patient was told that they were having a spontaneous abortion by their doctor, right? Yeah. As it turns out, that's not quite correct. Donkey assumed that the patient had gone in and had an appointment, thus speaking to the doctor Mm -hmm. but as it turns out they only ended up talking to an advice nurse at the clinic 
that day who said it sounded like a spontaneous abortion and scheduled an appointment for oh. Monday to do the ultrasound and the repeat pregnancy test. Oh. The patient hadn't actually been evaluated. Oh, man. Boom. So that's the call. We had a mid thirties female with some lower abdominal cramping and spotting who had a syncopal episode this morning while walking into a bathroom. The crew does examine the, vi- examine the vitals, which appear normal. They got a history. They did some pertinent assessments such as a tilt test, although maybe a little less pertinent now. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> 12 lead, which not was also unremarkable and none of these things they really felt no. were helpful in identifying what ended up being a pretty big potential life threat. So the big discussion we're going to have on this show is how avoidable was this miss and should they have done anything differently? God. But before we do that, let's do a brief review of ectopic pregnancy and catch everybody up to speed on All that. Right, let's do it. <clears throat> All right. So, the same rules from gut feeling apply. I'm going to try and just make this as quick and painless as possible, unlike an ectopic pregnancy. <laughs> All right. So put simply, an ectopic pregnancy is the implement is the implementation of a fertilized egg or ovum outside of the uterus. About 95% of the time that this happens, it's going to happen in one of the fallopian tubes. But it also, for whatever reason can occur in like the ovary itself or even just, you know, somewhere in the abdominal cavity, wherever it wants to set up shop. Maybe it just nestles itself amongst the bowels or uh, maybe uh, along that large beating aorta, you know, wherever it's comfortable. So (laughs) right here, (laughs) thankfully that's super rare. Uh, So there's a differing range depending on sources. Uh, and also it sounds like there's some uh, geographic variation, but it's estimated that between 1% and 3% of pregnancies end up being ectopic. There is no specific cause for this. There are a couple of risk factors to look out for one advanced maternal age, which is greater than 35 years old Two, a history of sexually transmitted diseases, especially chlamydia. Uh, three, a history of fertility problems or currently on IVF treatment. And that is a big one. Um, others are like a history of previous ectopic pregnancies or uh, history of spontaneous abortions, a known history of fallopian tube problems, a history of smoking. Again, terrible here. Surprising. I know there are quite a few. So this problem usually pre- uh, presents a up around like six to 10 weeks gestation, uh, often with patients reporting lower quadrant abdominal pain, usually on one side, but not always. The pain can range from really no pain at all to severe 11 out of 10 pain. There may or may not be vaginal bleeding. Again, assuming that the fetus is trying to grow in the tube, the pain is going to come when the tube is starting to stretch and then it eventually tears and bleeds into the peritoneal cavity. Uh, the patient eventually will go into shock from the blood loss and sometimes even despite appropriate intervention will die. It's a big deal. Uh, in other cases, it, this actually can correct itself where, you know, the, essentially the, you know, it goes like, oh, I'm not supposed to grow here. And then it spontaneously, you know, aborts, Mm -hmm. um, saving everyone from a life threatening problem. So, uh, anyway, to make matters worse. 
Because there's a range in presentation, sometimes patients don't present in the expected fashion. Sometimes ectopic pregnancies can mimic other far more typical findings like ovarian cysts, which are also pretty common, uh, especially in that first trimester, or spontaneous abortions, or even non-gynecological problems such as like a bowel obstruction, etc. And this is why, by the way, given this range of variety and the potential lethality of this condition, doctors insist, and I, I'm solidly on board with it now, <laughs> the rule of thumb has to be all women of childbearing age with any kind of abdominal pain should be ruled out for ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. So it's fair. Real quick. How do they rule this out? History for one is the patient sex sexually active last menstrual period within that expected range, recent positive pregnancy test. Do they meet any of those other risk factors? Uh, vital signs that they're going to be looking for, especially for tachycardia, but we're going to put a pin in that finding because I definitely have some thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. um, but we also, they're also going to look for other signs of shock or things like, have they syncopized? Uh, we should touch on that again too. So real quick, how old did you say she was? Or how old is she? Uh, she? She is 36 years old. 36. Okay. So in this case, we do have some of those criteria, right? So they fall within that window because I think you're saying she was nine weeks estimated gestational age. You know, six to 10 weeks is the window. Uh, they mm -hmm. have history of positive pregnancy tests. They did have a second negative test um, after that, but did have a history of positive pregnancy tests. And they have yeah. at least one other risk factor that we know of. Like we just said, she's over 35. So, and they syncopized which is the whole reason we're yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And in the ED, this is likely what will happen with these patients. They get the history and assessment. They'll likely do a pregnancy test in the hospital. They'll look at HCG levels. Uh, that's human chorional gonadotrope levels. And mm. typically above 1500 is considered that like marker for pregnant. So if they run the test and they find it's positive, they can do an ultrasound of the uterus. If the ultrasound combined with that positive pregnancy test shows no fetus in the uterine lining, then ectopic pregnancy is pretty clear. But caution here, because HCG levels can initially spike and then cycle lower despite the fetus growing in the tube, the patient might have a far lower reading. One case I reviewed had a young female with an HCG of 56. Now remember, 1500 is considered a positive test and hers was 15.6. Yeah. And this patient ultimately did not have the appendicitis one doctor insisted it was, but did in fact have an ectopic pregnancy requiring surgery. Well, it seems like this situation probably took place here in this call uh, with the patient saying she noted that her last pregnancy test was negative. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, uh, Donkey and myself both fell victim to that thinking. Like, cause I was sold on the likelihood of spontaneous abortion because yeah. of the negative pregnancy test that the patient took at home. And, you know, that coupled with my own assumption based on what, you know, Donkey's story that she'd actually been seen and been evaluated by her doctor. But, um, <laughs> you know what they say about assuming? Oh, God. <laughs> they make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> Uh, I shitty puns should be part of the drinking game. I'm it's, a little disappointed uh, that no, nobody because no, no one will ever make it there. to the end of an episode. <laughs> All right. Um, 
real quick, let's talk about treatment. So depending on the situation, the patient with an ectopic pregnancy may only be monitored if it's asymptomatic, like as these situations, you know, again, sometimes correct themselves. Or it might be treated medically with methotrexate, uh, methotrexate, excuse me. Uh, That's a uh, medication that inhibits rapid cell growth thus terminating the pregnancy. Um, In other situations, such as rupture, the patient will require surgery to prevent maternal death. So this really is a condition that requires a high degree of suspicion going in. There are just so many cautionary tales about near misses that this actually really does need to be at the top end of our concern for patients capable of bearing children with abdominal pain and concerning symptoms such as like occult tachycardia, hypotension, or syncope as those tend to be indications that the patient is potentially bleeding. And so with this patient, we have abdominal pain and syncope. Yeah, and I want to touch on the syncope in a second. Um, I, I really liked your breakdown, but let's first circle back and talk about tachycardia. Uh, because the patient ultimately did have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, but she didn't have tachycardia or noted hypotension, at least not at the time that our crew was dealing with her. And that seems odd. Why would that be? Because ATLS, you know, advanced trauma life support says that people can lose about 15% of their blood volume without significant changes to their heart rate or blood pressure Mm -hmm. up to 30%. They'll have a slight increase in heart rate. They say 100 and changes in their blood pressure, namely that narrowing of pulse pressures. But at 30 to 40% blood loss, they should have more significant one, you know, like 120 tachycardia. They should have an increased respiratory rate dropping blood, you know, systolic blood pressure. And then above 40%, that should all just be super shitty, coupled with like a altered mental status, low BP, high respiration rate, all the things. But here's the thing. There's some range there. Um, There's a couple studies that sort of go like, yeah, ATLS is... The numbers that they got were higher than the numbers that we got. They had patients with 30%, you know, 30% volume depletion, who were in the, like the 80s. Mm. Um, so, you know, or excuse me, in the 90s there, uh, in the 80s for uh, that f- class one shock. So 15%. But still not really tachycardic, not above 100. Um, there's also, so you won't, you, some patients just won't get significantly tachycardic, even with like one third the volume of their blood lost. You know, in some cases, and especially with peritoneal bleeding, there can be increased vagal tone thanks to blood stimulating receptors like vagal receptors. And this can actually cause a lower heart rate despite significant active bleeding. So tachycardia, a sign that I personally tend to rely on heavily in my own practice as a sign of, you know, significant hemorrhaging might not be present in this case at all. So, and that, and that might be what we're seeing here in this case. So, it could just be that she hasn't like yet lost enough blood at the time that the patient was assessed, but you might be wondering like, okay, then like, why did she syncopize in the first place? And one of the things you got to remember, like about the human body is it's, it's, it's weird. And, you know, we talked about how syncope has all these different causes. And remember you syncopize 
when there's any reason that blood won't reach the brain. And you got to remember, like, an ectopic pregnancy is essentially the body is now carrying a mass where it is not used to carrying that mass. And that causes a ton of things. It can move around in the abdominal cavity and cause a vagal response, like Spence, you were just talking about. Another thing it could be is it could be causing her a tremendous amount of pain that she just doesn't remember. I had uh, an SI joint injury. I still have an SI joint injury. Uh, but, um, and it caught oh, severe pain. And, uh, I crawled up uh, my stairs and like into my bed and then I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, well, like (laughs) I have to take a shit, but I can't move. And I've been holding my bladder for a while now, too. And like I have new sheets. So uh, (laughs) like I got like I got to get in. I'm like, I need to try and sit up and I go to stand up and I remember being like, "Okay, the pain's not bad. The pain's not bad. And the hard part isn't once you're standing, you can do it. The hard part is transitioning with SI pain is transitioning from a basically any position from like, you know, like a seated position or curled position to standing. Like it's the transition that hurts. And I'm like, all right, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And the next thing I remember is I'm passed back out in my bed because I vagal down with pain. I always have. And that could be her case. Maybe she got up uh, because I don't remember the pain going high. I just remember waking up like in my bed it goes like this and that is like here's the true answer i don't know why and nobody ever will know why the exact reason that she syncopized okay i mean it 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 could be i don't even know if she had been losing blood from that ectopic or enough blood to cause this from that ectopic. All we know is that she had one and it needed surgery. Uh, it could have caused her pain. It could have caused a vagal response. Or maybe in some positions it's letting out blood and in other positions it's not. And her moving changes that. So we don't know. And then, you know, by the time she finishes her deuce, gets back in bed and calls 911, it's back in position. The blood loss has stopped and the body has compensated and all is well again. We don't know. So... Yeah, there's there's yeah, it almost doesn't matter at this point. But anyway, moving on. No, I I, I think, you know, it, we're really using the syncope in context yeah. here, you know, but and you're right. We don't know, like, why this is. But yeah, let, so speaking of context, like, let's put all this together in the context of this call. All right. And let's let's kind of go through and and see if there were mistakes made and if there's ways to improve and how to avoid them. So. All right, so I'll recap it from my perspective. So they get called uh, to an apartment complex that was remarkably easy to find, which has to let them know they're in the Twilight Zone immediately. Um, but, <laughs> and that things are not as they seem. Um, you know, and they find... That was the, that was the first clue. <laughs> that, that should have been it. That's what they missed. Uh, but uh, they should have... Uh, but yeah, they walk in there and they have a 36-year-old uh, female... Uh, who is now in bed, but as the story goes, a few minutes before that, she was prone. She she basically walked into the bathroom to take a deuce. Uh, daughter heard a thud, went in there, found her down, finishes the deuce. She goes back in. They did a great job on their assessment. I mean, in terms of her vital signs, all her vital signs check out. I personally, I mean, for, correct me if I'm wrong, I did not see a single concerning vital sign. They did I didn't a, either. Yeah, they did a trauma assessment. They did a head to toe and they didn't find any trauma. Um, she had some abdominal pain. They did a history. Uh, I would say, I don't think they missed any particular assessment in terms of, in other words, they checked all the boxes, but whether or not they did a good job on every single one of them is kind of where it might get difficult. And I'm going to say, I think they did a stellar job. A, a, I think they did a, a 
Okay, I'm not going to say stellar. Stellar, they would have been like, all right, so tell me about this whole appointment with the doctor. Um, exactly. But I have to admit, I I would have missed it. I mean, I, I, I think and I think it's pretty easy to see how a lot of people would have missed this one. So I absolutely I absolutely do. And I kind of want to dig into that for a moment here, if we can. Yeah. Like why? Because here's my thought on this. And again, this isn't anything that Donkey said. This is just sort of me putting my own shit on this. I when somebody goes like, yeah, hey, I had a loss. I like sometimes I just don't know. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't want sh- we shouldn't talk about this anymore. I'm just going to say sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm going to say like, I'm going to offer my condolences and then I'm going to kind of try and avoid the subject, I guess, because like, I don't want to bring up something that will cause pain that Mm -hmm. will cause them like emotional distress. You know, like this is a thing that recently just happened. You know, I don't want to dig into it. So like, there's a part of my own discomfort. I think there that plays into that would play into this uh, for me where I just, I'm like, man, I, I don't want to bring it up anymore. And then because I'm avoiding it, I'm also far more like, because of that sort of like mentality, I'm also setting myself up to avoid asking those follow-up questions because they will do that where I'm like, Hey, so I, sorry, I just got to make sure. So you went in and you actually saw your doctor and they did these tests. Um, because, you know, that, that would have generated a far different answer. And then you've been like, Oh no. The, so nobody has any fucking clue what's going on with yeah. this. Like you're, we've, you've just assumed based on like what sounded like a worst case scenario from what the, you know, advice nurse said. So it's hard for me to say that the crew missed an ectopic pregnancy. I mean, they objectively did, but they, it sounded like they tried to go down that route and they just kind of stopped short here to me. Like this is the tweak that needs to be made to catch this because on one hand, like I'm serious, like, okay, so do I now question, like if some patient says, yeah, I, I had this checked out, it's this, do I now question every patient every time they tell me they had something checked out? I'd be like, okay, yeah, but what do you mean? Like, did you go see a doctor? Maybe, but I think what probably should have been considered here is like what you had said in your research that you found is that there's a lot of physicians for a very good reason. They're like, hey, they're childbearing age and they syncopy and they have you know, these risk factors and they syncopize with abdominal pain assume, uh, you know, just assume that ectopic pregnancy is a possibility. And so if you go in with that mentality, especially after learning that she's had a positive pregnancy test and you go in with the mentality of like, until it is ruled out, assume it's ectopic pregnancy, that's going to change your whole mentality. Now, when she says something like, so if you go in there thinking like, Hey, this is probably going to be like, there's a good chance it's an ectopic pregnancy, or I should assume it is until it's ruled out. And she says, yeah, look, I, I was, you know, I, I was pregnant, but, uh, you know, my clinic said it's a miscarriage. Then you're going to be like, me ask like, okay, did you have an ultrasound? Did you have these things done? That kind of stuff. And then that would have prompted her to be like, Hey, so just in you shooting for confirmation to rule out a topic pregnancy, you would have gotten to the bottom of her story. And to me, yeah. I think that's kind of the key takeaway that I would say in this is if you have childbearing female with abdominal pain who is syncopized, especially with a recent pregnancy test, even with the follow-up negative being recent. Um, if you're going in there with that mindset of, I got to rule out an ectopic pregnancy, you're going to find that just in yeah, trying to rule I, that out. Exactly. And that sort of gives you something to brace against that. Uh, you know, like if, you, if you're like myself and you're like, man, I just don't want to bring up something that might potentially cause, you know, like cause further emotional distress or harm or whatever, then like that, that solves that because you're like, yeah, but 
uh, it's better to have a you know, like potential emotional distress or discomfort. And you yeah. know, like again, that's just an assumption on my part. As it turns out, most people are seem to be more than happy to talk about like, yeah, like thank you, acknowledge the thing that's going on in my life. Well, um, yeah. But all so, that, is, yeah. All that aside, though, like, like, do you still get refusals on syncopies? I mean, is that taking it seriously enough? Or I, you know, I I think what you said earlier is like, you know, you try, you try your best. Syncopies are just really uncomfortable ones to get refusals on, unless it's like clear cut. You know, like when I cut my finger and my wife Sikapai's tried to help me because like I right. woke her up out of bed from, you know, like two yeah. hours of sleep. Uh, that, that, then I'm like, yeah, you don't need to, you don't need an ER. Like, because I know what happened there. You know, like it all makes sense. It all adds up and it all adds up to a very benign thing. I mean, mm-hmm. like I could be wrong, but probably not. Uh, where with patients, like unless they have that, like, yeah, hey – I, you know, I, I was trying to help my wife. She cut her hand. I can't tolerate, like, I don't like the sight of blood. And I fucking passed out when I saw it. Then I'm like, unless there is a very clear answer like that, then no, I really don't like getting refusals on syncope patients. I, I, I would prefer them to go to the hospital, but not to the, I mean, you know, I, I just warned them the same way. Like I, for people who want to refuse, I'm like, this is well within your right to refuse. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure you're an educated customer about what you're refusing. Yeah. Here's what you are refusing. Like, this is what could be wrong. It could be nothing. It could be all these things. I Like, I don't know. Yeah. And the only way to find out, maybe, because what is it? Like 50% of CQP patients are like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Come yeah. back if it happens again. Right. Like, it's, it's a lot of they, them. They, they, yeah, they don't know what happened. They're just like, hmm, yeah. I, I mean, the definition of syncope is that it's transient. And so, unfortunately, <laughs> the reason that the syncope has occurred is usually just as transient as the syncope itself. So, <laughs> exactly. it's there for a so, bit and then gone. And it's hard yeah. to find something that's not there anymore. So, I just tell people, I'm like, this is what, like, these are the risks. Yeah, like, this could be an arrhythmia, in which case, like, it might go back into it. It could be lethal. I don't know. Like, mm. I just don't know what's wrong. So sign here if that's what you want to do. For me, like my line is this, all I know is that something went wrong enough that your body's one goal, the one thing that it tries to maintain above all else, which is perfusion to your brain, it could not accomplish. <laughs> that's, I like that phrasing. Okay. I might have to steal that's, that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, okay. Your, your, bo- your body has one function and that's it. Couldn't do it. One job, Kyle. Yeah. One fucking One job. job. Put the cones out. <laughs> that would be like if Kyle didn't direct traffic. He'd be like, something is wrong with Kyle. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, I think that sort of goes into. I, I, There's actually a lot of I, Kyles I, in my life that I really like. <laughs> so I feel bad when we make Kyle jokes. <laughs> Kyle nice. EMS is Karen. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yep. Oh fuck. So yeah. Um. So then I I don't begrudge them for getting the refusal in this situation. I mean, you know, I I think you know had they known what they didn't know, and had they you know 
had they taken your approach, which we kind of outline here, which circumvents all of this and prevents us from making this mistake, um, you know, which is, yeah, always think about ectopic pregnancy and, you know, like do your best to try and like rule oh, it out. Bear in mind, that's my approach now. It was not my approach exactly. before this episode. <laughs> exactly. We all learned something today. Uh, <laughs> hashtag Spencer and Chris were both wrong. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, so I I think that's the only real uh, thing to take. I, I give kudos. Um, I, I didn't ask in the episode, and I, I, I didn't follow up with Donkey before, uh, before writing it. Um, but, you know, like, having Fiona do the 12 lead, like, if the patient was super, you know, was was comfortable with that like that's a that's a really great move and having and fiona you know tip of the hat to you for being an emt who knows 12 lead placement and is comfortable with doing that because not everyone does that so boom yeah. boom well shit i think that's it um I nailed it. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, so, should have done an ultrasound on scene. And uh, now we can start the debate of pre-hospital ultrasounds. Go! Uh, but anyway. Yeah, um, focus, baby. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, uh, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we love doing the show. We love getting your stories. We love getting your comments. Uh, the show is just doing really, really well. Um, and we appreciate you guys for it. So uh, with that, please so follow us on social media. We are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook. Go to Instagram. We are uh, at EMS 2020 show. Send us an email with your tales of woe or misfortune or success even at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. Spencer, awkward AF ending, please. No, you dense, irritating, miniature beast of burden. EMS 2020 episodes are like onions. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I Have you not watched Shrek? I have, but I don't recall. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. <laughs>